Welcome to Game Over Montreal in what started out like a pretty ugly game overall for the Montreal Canadiens. They stuck with it and delivered a pretty decent performance. And hey, putting up a good fight and losing is pretty much exactly what you want from this team right now anyway, as they continue their trek towards first overall in the draft in Montreal. But uh, let's chat about this game. I'm going to bring in Paul Campbell. How's it going, Paul? Andrew, it's going um, really well, actually. It was, a, it was a surprisingly entertaining game. Yeah, and we should say, Paul is a goalie guy. He works for In Goal Magazine. He signed up to this game expecting to talk about Carey Price <laughs> and John Gibson. And instead, he got <laughs> Alex Stolarz, Caden Primo, and then bonus Sam Montembeau. You had to check the program, right, to see who the goalies actually were. You're like, who, who were these guys? And, um, uh, but at least I got to see three. So, I mean, that, that's a bonus, right? It was, it's not John, John Gibson, Carey Price, but it's, it's three for, instead of two. That's, that's not bad. Yeah, it's a decent deal. You got okay, three for the much. price of two. <laughs> and, and lots of goals. Uh, uh, not what I expected uh, when, I, when I signed up, but entertaining nonetheless. Yeah, it was a decent game. I think that... Uh, it's an interesting game based on the conversations that are happening in Montreal right now. And, you know, I think people are looking for things to talk about, especially in media, right? Because there's just, there's only so much you can say about a team that's been this bad for this long and still get people to tune into what you're talking about. Right. And Unfortunately, it seems like what's been keyed in on a little bit is the idea of a goaltender controversy for the Canadians' third string position. And this game isn't going to help uh, the way that people are viewing Caden Primo right now. And I want to get your opinion on this because I think watching Caden Primo in this season, all people really want to see from him is like some level of consistency and to be okay you know like just don't lose games and i don't know if i like really put this one on him but at the same time i don't not not you know what i mean like he wasn't great i thought his last game uh was significantly worse than this one but overall I like is he as bad as the numbers say? I, I don't think that he is. I think he's in a crap situation, and also this is his seventh game. Yeah, and it's easy to forget that, right? Um, I mean, and we talked about this before. His first game up, his first few games in the NHL, he looked like um, he was scared to death. Now he doesn't, but he occasionally plays like he's scared to death, and that's that's the troubling part. So clearly, he's he's cleared most of that away. He's got away from those early jitters. But now there are problems in his game, not, not just his mental game, but his actual technique that are starting to get exposed. And, you know, the more the more games he sees behind a poor team, the more these problems are going to you know, rear their ugly heads. And that's what's happening to him lately. That there's there's another issue that's plaguing him. And this, this will work into the mental eventually. And that's he you're they're protecting him right obviously he lets in a few goals they're like uh, or you know that they, they were tonight and they have before let's in a couple goals uh you know we don't want to make him you know we don't want to 
ruin his confidence, right? We don't, well, honestly, at this point, it doesn't matter if he's in for five, if he's in for three in a period, it, it doesn't matter. Um, at some point, I, I mean, they're trying to go for the win still, right? I guess. So that's sort of the idea like, oh, well, we still have a chance to win. We'll maybe save um, his ego and we'll, you know, to change goalies and see what we can do. But at some point you leave him in there and you let him battle it out and you let him, you let him die if he dies. And I think that's an underrated aspect of, um, you know, uh, goaltender development. Sometimes you just have to put a guy out there, let him face the whole thing, let him know that no matter what happens tonight, it's you. So if you had, a, if you let in a bad goal, you, you got to recover. And if you're having a bad period, you've got to recover. And that's something I think that they're, um, they're not doing and they're protecting him in a way, but also they're not giving him the kind of exposure that a team like this could give him, which is stay in there and battle like the team did. The team stayed and they hung around, they battled and they almost eked it out. Weidman made this a beautiful defensive play at the very end, right? Like, where did that come from? Well, he's, he's gutting it out, right? He's doing his best. And sometimes I think you got to let the young goalie do the same thing. And I, I hope they will do that going forward if he gets a chance to play uh, much more because they seem to they seem to be more comfortable with Montembeau at this point when he's healthy. Yeah, and I, I've seen a lot of talk about uh, you know Montembeau being maybe the goaltender of the future instead of Primo. I think we really need to take age into account with that because the difference between a 22 year old goaltender and a 25 year old goaltender to me is like very large. Like that's it's only three years, but those are three very big years in terms of development and. Montembeau is on a bit of a heater right now. I think that uh, his last stretch of like four starts or five starts has actually been really good. Mm -hmm. But if we look back to like seven starts into the season, I don't think his numbers were better than Primo's are right now. So I think that Montembeau has benefited a little bit from being able to dig himself out of situations and having to sit there and be the guy well like Jake Allen's been hurt or Jake Allen's been not available because he's been overplayed and what you're talking about with Primo like they do need to let him sink or swim a little bit they're maybe trying to protect his head a little bit but at the same time it has to be difficult for a goaltender to think like if I have a bad first period I'm getting yanked no matter what like I have no opportunity to get myself back into it and I'm just, uh, I'm not as fast to throw in the towel on Primo, but I'm also not of the opinion that he's like a super high-end prospect either. No, and when people talk about the goaltender of the future of Montreal, uh, they, we, I, I don't believe we know who that is, right? Um, goaltenders keep going through Montreal, uh, under, basically under the shadow of Carey Price. So either goalies come in as prospects um, who we seldom see, uh, they come in as backups who we see more often than we'd like because Carey Price keeps getting injured, or we see Carey Price. So we have this so, so whole circulation of goaltenders going on in the background. All these goalies who, um, you know, people want to hype up like, oh, you know, maybe he's the guy of the future. Maybe, you know, as soon as a goalie comes along who's the right age to take over for Price when Price uh, eventually calls it quits, they keep calling him that goalie. Well, we, we haven't seen that, right? Um, there's nothing, I mean, any goaltender who makes it to this level, um, if they do everything right, if their developmental trajectory is good, if they have the right mental game, if they get the right help with their technique, they can be a good goaltender in the NHL, right? The, the difference between goalies at this level isn't that great. You know, there, there's some exceptions on either end. Primo could be a good goaltender. He could be a good backup. Maybe he could be a starter. But the, what he's shown us so far does not indicate any of that to me. 
and what I've seen from him so far this season is, is unimpressive. So uh, c- compounding that is the fact that he is, is being saved, right, by, by the coach. He is being uh, protected. And so he's not having a chance to show more, right? It's like, it's like your kid. If every time your kid struggles with something, you take it away from them and do it, you've just stolen their chance to learn that thing, right? Um, if every time your kid is having a hard time, you, you, know, you, you pick them up and whisk them away and save them, they're never going to learn how to deal with that situation. And they're going to lose their confidence to be like, well, I can't do it anyway. Dad's going to do it for me. Um, we need not to do that, right? This is a year where you can throw, you can throw a guy to the wolves now and then. And I think that needs to happen for the sake of his development. There, there are elements of his game tonight. I was, I was watching it. I'm like, this is, this doesn't belong at this level, right? Like, and he, he can be better than that. He just hasn't been. And until he shows that he can be, um, can be the faith that the fan base uh, is putting in him is just misplaced. Yeah, hundred percent. Comment here from Dixon Automotive Group uh, says, uh, "Please move on from Primo, and can we just trade the players we don't want for Zegris?" Listen, we all <laughs> wish. We all wish, don't we? <laughs> it would be very, it'd be a great world if we could do that. And it was like uh, in like EA Sports where you could like compound up the value as it builds up. You just add players you don't care about. <laughs> and then just Trevor Zegris. <laughs> How many backup goalies can we can we put in this trade and not have the machine break? Uh, I yeah, think that's, seriously. That's the question. Unfortunately, the Anaheim Ducks are also managed by a human being and... Uh, <laughs> They would not give up Trevor Zagris, I don't think, for any player on the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, that that goal that he scored, like, come on, so good. There, there's good too. there's the Michigan, and there's doing it at full speed on a wraparound. Like what I what I that's really not loved. Fair. It, what I really loved about that goal, first of all, it was the most casual uh, Michigan lacrosse goal I've ever seen. Yep, I didn't realize that it happened until it was happening. Like like the the, the goal had gone in. I was like. That just that just happened because there was no setup, there was no lingering behind the net, right? It's not like he tried it or or faked it. He what I loved about this is the deception. So he faked the shot, right? So the goaltender has to be honest, right? Has to stay on that. He he leans in like he's gonna shoot, then he carries around, you know, leans his shoulder. As soon as he starts to carry, um Montembeau, not not Montembeau, um Primo. No, what, it was Montembeau, I think, wasn't it? Like the oh, was it? Okay. Fir- it was, was the it? first shot he faced, which is that's like, right. <laughs> totally <laughs> Welcome unfair. To <laughs> Welcome to the game. Uh, and so he has to respect that. As soon as Zegers is moving with speed behind the net, he just has to switch posts. The goaltender just doesn't have time to look. And um, the defender, I think it was Savard, uh, was, was, was sort of halfway, and he could have maybe cut him down if he'd noticed, but it was so fast and so casual that he, did, he didn't. And yeah. it was the it, it was almost unopposed that, that goal. I mean, it, it was just brilliant from the deception to the speed to the casualness. It was one of the nicest versions of that I've ever seen. Yeah, and I think there's a temptation, especially because it's David Savard, and it seems like every goal that goes in, David Savard is on the ice all season. <laughs> I, there's definitely a temptation to put blame on guys, and like we have uh, L. Eon or Leon. I don't know how you'd rather be pronounced in the chat saying Monty didn't have a chance. I like I kind of agree. I think yeah. the way Paul laid it out there, he probably didn't have a chance. Maybe get lucky and and uh, make that save, but that would be luck, right? And with yeah. Savard, he kind of has to respect the idea that Zegris can cut out front and make a pass, right? So he has to cut off the middle. Yeah. And there was actually somebody on the other side of the net. So, like, it would be satisfying to watch Savard kind of come around and maybe, like, level a guy trying to go around the net like that. 
but it's just not a play that a smart defenseman can make. So it's like, what a beautiful, beautiful set of plays by Zagris to create that situation. And yeah, the finish, my God. Yeah, it was just, it was perfect. Was it a power play? I don't think so. No, okay. It, it, it seemed like it. Um, basically, he, he, uh, the way he exposed um, Savard on the play, Savard was stuck halfway. He was covering a man in front. Um, he says Zagris go to the far side. He moved toward him, but he couldn't move as quickly as he'd like because he couldn't abandon the play. And he had to respect that if Zagris came and made that pass, um, you know, he was, he was going to get beat that way. So he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. I just think on that goal, you tip your hat. Like he did it, yeah. he did it as well as I've ever seen. So, I mean, yeah, you want to stop him, but you, you can't strategize, you know, everything's a trade-off, right? And you're going to give up um, more than you're going to get by trying to defend against that specific goal too often or, or making that move to attack that guy too quickly when uh, really it's still a low percentage play and it's, uh, and it's even a low percentage to try play. So you gotta, you got to try to defend against it when it happens, but you can't spend all your defensive, put all your defensive eggs in that basket. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, the the guys that excelled in this game for Montreal, because I think we, we kind of mentioned that they did put up a good fight, and mm-hmm. I think it's important to focus on that a little bit because in a season like this, we've got to hold on with both hands to every positive. For all the fans out there who are still watching these games, you need something to talk about <laughs> the next morning. And obviously, Jake Evans had a great night tonight, him and uh, Rem Pitlick, but the guy who consistently stood out to me more than anyone else on the ice was Arturi Lekkonen. And mm. I've been very on the, like, out there saying, I think the Canadians need to hang on to Arturi Lekkonen through this rebuild because he's the kind of guy that shows the next generation essentially how it's done. He clearly wants to wear the jersey. He's, I would argue, the only guy on the roster who has given like 100% effort every game he's played this season. Having a great season amid a terrible season for almost everybody, like even offensively, based on his previous years, Lekkonen's doing all right. Scored his first power play goal yeah. since 2018 <laughs> today. It's Not that he's had a lot of power play time, of course. But I see more and more trust being given to this this player, and I'm just running out of scenarios where it makes sense to trade him because. To me, I don't think that they're going to get a first-round pick for him because no. his reputation around the league is just not high enough. And I don't see a scenario where they get good enough value to trade Lekkonen and not get a first-round pick. Teams trade for... I mean, they trade their their first-rounders. They trade um, real assets for goals. Lekkonen yeah. doesn't have them. I mean, he, he, he can score, right? He's, he showed he's physically capable of doing it, but his finish is the weakest part of his game, and that's the part that teams are going to really value. Now, a smart team would give something up for him because he could be an excellent piece in a lot of... Uh, he's one of the few players on the Canadians I can see going to a contender tomorrow and just seamlessly fitting into a, a role on their team because he, he can play that role so well. He has such great defensive instincts. He's so hard on the puck. He's um, he's good on the forecheck and backcheck. His, his his positioning is immaculate. So, I mean, teams love that stuff. If the guy could figure out how to, you know, could figure out how to score, could figure out how to finish, he'd be he'd be a fifty goal scorer. 
Um, however, even as he is, I think that he's going to be worth more to keep uh, than, he, than he is to trade. So, and, and how old is he? He is not, uh, I mean, he's not one of the graybeards. He's in his like, late 20s. He's 20, 26. Eight? Okay. Okay. So he's, he's a bit younger than I thought he would. He just, he's just mature, which is why, which is why I thought that. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, keep him around. I, I 100% agree with that. Um, remember, uh, remember the Habs got rid of Eller? Yes. It's not the same I remember situation. very, I remember being very angry because when they first traded Eller, I was annoyed because I was a big fan of Lars Eller. But the return that they got of two second round picks in that draft, I was like, you know what? That's decent. Then they turned around and traded those two second round picks for Andrew Shaw, who, in my estimation, was a less impactful player than Lars Eller. Now, I'm I was my opinion was changed about Andrew Shaw as a player in Montreal. I think his time in Montreal, he was a better player than he was in Chicago. I still don't think he was as important of a player as Lars Eller was because of the position. Like they needed Eller down the middle, right? And the insulation yeah. that he gave to the youngsters, like Galchenyuk, was felt when he was lost. So bad trade, but uh, yes, I do remember that. <laughs> well, and um, you know, people people know what they've lost when, once they've lost, and sometimes not till then, right? So you know, people in Pittsburgh keep talking about trading Malkin, trade Malkin. Everyone knows as soon as he leaves, you've lost Evgeny Malkin, right? You're going to notice yeah. that right away. You can anticipate losing that. You lose a guy like Geller. You lose a guy like Lekkonen. You think, okay, well, you know, he didn't bring many goals. We're going to get something back. But then you see the trickle-down effect, right, or the knock-on effects of not having that solid, stable consistency in the middle of your lineup. And it's hard to replace. And then all the pieces start moving around, and you lose – and the, the whole team, right, loses some stability or consistency. It's almost like removing a keystone. You know, the structure collapses. This one guy didn't seem to be doing that much, right? He wasn't contributing that much. But then you realize, oh. I mean, um, you know, look, looking back to a guy like Placanic, right? Um, he he was a phenomenal force on that team. He wasn't a highlight reel scorer, right? He wasn't an offensive dynamo, even though he carried his weight. But he just did everything that you asked him to do. He did it really well. He was really responsible, stable. You could you could bank on this guy, right? Um, and I, I'm not putting Lekin in as as highly up as that, but he he's that same kind of stable force. Yeah, and you can see that same scenario playing out with losing Phil Deneau in the offseason, right? 100%. Just look at the trickle-down effect of that. And, like, we've talked before on the show about, like, Nick Suzuki is having a disappointing offensive season. And, like, his underlying numbers also are not fantastic. But how many players are there across the NHL who are the coach's first choice at even strength? They're the first choice in the power play. They're the first choice on the penalty kill. And they're the first choice on three on three, like there are no breaks for Nick Suzuki where he is not 100% counted upon. There are very few players like that. And I think there's probably a very tiny handful of 22 year olds who are relied on like that. Like even guys like Connor McDavid is not going out there on the first wave of the penalty kill. Like he just, he plays a ton of minutes at even strength in the power play because that's what they're trying to flex him for. But Suzuki is asked to do everything. And that's all like partially due to the loss of Phil Deneau, who was a huge insulator for him and allowed him to have a lot of that success the first two years of his career. So you see that and you can point to many examples of it. And Lekkanen is just such a guy that I think instills the work ethic that you want 
among your skill players as well. And I looked just quickly at uh, like different teams that like, let's say even if you only value Lekkonen as a penalty killer, which he is fantastic at, mm-hmm. but he is also a phenomenal, even strength player. In fact, has one of the best uh, grouping of underlying numbers at even strength in the entire league this season, a team that is without a doubt, an absolute cup contender that has a terrible penalty kill that could probably really use a guy like Arturi Lekkonen, the Colorado Avalanche. How well would he fit on the Colorado Avalanche? Like, if I was Joe Sackick, I'd be banging down the door. And, like, how much value does their first-round pick have this year? I mean, it's going it's, it's to be so late. It's, it's essentially, it's functionally a second, right? Yeah, exactly. We'd assume, yeah. So, like, that's the kind of scenario where I could see the Canadians being tempted. I'm just not sold on it being 100% worth it. It's like him... And Toffoli are the two guys that I think mm-hmm. you want to keep to carry through to when you're out of this rebuild. Now, is this rebuild going to be quick enough that they're going to be uh, useful pieces on the other side of it? I'm not convinced of that, but I think every time you see a team try to rebuild and they trade like every usable asset, it takes a long time to build up out of it. You have to have somebody who can be there as a leader. And, you know, if Carey Price is not going to be around because, like, the mystery around what's going on with him and the lack of transparency, we don't know what's going to happen there. You need somebody in the lineup, and obviously Shea Weber also not coming back. So hopefully we have some updates on Price coming soon, but uh, they need somebody to stay. I mean, uh, people keep forgetting this. I don't know if managers do, but um, fans certainly do. You you can't build something from nothing uh, unless yeah. you're an expansion like, unless you want to be an expansion team suddenly right you're not and even them you're not building from nothing right your team needs an identity it needs something to build around it needs a model to build through and if you're uh, basically the draft is is you're collecting pieces right you're going to somehow put these pieces together what are you what are you attaching them to right you don't know who you're going to get the year, the year after, right? You don't know what these draft picks are going to look like in three years. You can't have a rudderless um, ship just sort of ramming through, you know, the draft waters, just getting, you know, picking up treasure, right? It's it's not going to work. I mean, um, Buffalo was maybe the best example in, in recent years of a team who tanked as desperately as possible. They sold away everything. They had two well-performing goalies, really overperforming goalies. They traded both of them, right? Well, you exit the rebuild, or, or maybe you don't, but you try to exit the rebuild. Oh, look at that. We have no talent. How did that happen? We traded it all away, right? You can't just squander the present for the future willy-nilly because you, um, people in your organization currently, for the most part, are established NHL players. What percentage of second rounders become established NHL players, right? I think it's like less than 30% or like just at 30%. So keep moving down the rounds. It keeps diminishing. So if you're trading a pretty good player, say a third liner, right, for a second rounder or even a couple of second rounders, your odds of hitting, ah, you know, and what yeah. are you going to get, right? Um, you have no guarantee that talent out is going to equal talent coming in. In fact, often it, it, it ends up being not the case. And so then you're left with some new guys who are really good and your old guys um, all get traded away. So you have like the, the third tier of those guys. Uh, it it just doesn't work. You need people to carry through. Yeah, hundred percent. And 
I think that this management group is going to be very cognizant of that. It seems like Kent Hughes, from what I've heard, Kent Hughes values Arturi Lekin. And now that could mean that he's just not going to trade him for nothing, right? That he wants to get a good return for him because he is on an expiring contract. And I do think like if Lekin is properly valued, he has phenomenal trade value, right? If teams are smart enough to know how good he is and how impactful he is. But that's a, a big if in the NHL. So who knows? Uh, I do want to get your opinion of Sam Montembo in this game because obviously he didn't face a lot of shots. First shot he faces is that Zagris goal, but kind of like battled through it and gave the Canadians a chance to win this game. And obviously has been very good the last few starts. Are you seeing things round out to form for him? Or is it just a matter of like eventually... He was going to get hot a little broken clocks or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Montembeau, although I was, um, I, I was on a different, um, uh, it won't be a podcast, something. I was talking to someone earlier today and, uh, I had some uh, clear set of analytics data uh, and, um, I had sort of top 20 lists for, uh, their version of goals saved above average. And, um, uh, what's the other one? Save percentage differential. So like, his expected save percentage, you know, for, um, you know, based on the defensive environment is X, but he's overperforming that. So he's, oh. uh, and Montebo made the list. I was shocked. Um, and I, I, he wasn't part of the conversation. It was sort of a Vesna related conversation, but I saw his name and I was like, this is absolutely staggering that uh, because sample size doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter how many games you've played uh, as long as your save percentage um is higher than what would have been expected given this defensive environment, then you're, you're going to do okay. And that's the list he made. I thought, okay, there's, there's something here. You don't make this list unless you're performing really well in the games that you did play. So statistically, it's one of the very few positives that I've seen in the sort of Canadians goaltending arsenal um, since, you know, uh, since Allen went down. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think there was a lot to point to early in the season where he wasn't, awful but he wasn't amazing and the canadians in front of him had like yeah i don't know if the canadians have given a worse ride to any goaltender in recent memory like he's just not had an opportunity to shine and i like i'm happy for him because it just looked like earlier in the season when he would let in a couple of goals and he'd take his mask off and take a sip of his water it just seemed like he was like looking at the ghosts of his past, you know, like that gif of the dog. that's like got like the, the PTSD that goes around and like flashes back to the war. That's how Sam Montembeau looked to me. So the fact that he's getting some good things happening for him now, I'm very happy for him. He seems like a nice kid. And I, I'm kind of with you that like at, at 25 years old, you kind of want like, that's who you are. Right. For the most part. So, yeah if you want to be like a goalie of the future and not, and I'm not saying this is what Sam Montembo is expected to be. Mm -hmm. You want him to be a little bit better than he is, but it's encouraging to see that he's actually performing above expectations because I mean, the numbers aren't great, but that's just raw numbers. Right. So if right. analytics are saying that he's actually been decent, that's a nice little story for the Montreal Canadians. I, I mean, like you said, grab the positives with both hands and hold on to them. Um, let him let him have his run, right? Like you know, t tandem him. Um, you know, get Primo in and you know, um, move him back and forth. I don't know what Allen's status is right now, uh, and when he's expected to return. But I mean, as of this point, 
is Montembeau gonna gonna benefit more from sort of keeping keeping this run he's this kind of run he's having going, uh, and is Primo gonna benefit from you know getting some some more seasoning um, you know in the in the A. Maybe maybe that's where this can go, um, you know, for, for some of the rest of the season. I mean, if you're if you're going to shelter Primo anyway, uh, to the extent that they have, and you know, end up putting Montebo or or McNiven or Allen when he comes back in um, as soon as he falters, uh, put him in a place where he's going to falter less frequently, where he has to just gut it out, and where he's been performing well, and then you know, bring him up occasionally, uh, you know, for spot duty or for for the odd start, um, and 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 let Montebo run for a while. I mean, tonight he didn't, he didn't have much to do, but he looked solid, right? He gave them a chance. He didn't give up. He kept battling. I, I mean, what more, what more can you ask? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, what's the harm <laughs> at, at this exactly. point in the season, right? Like, what are you going to lose? And that, that's kind of like my frustration with a lot of the decisions that this coaching staff has made is that there doesn't seem to be many things that are put together looking towards the future, it still seems like we're trying to like balance lines and it's like, I don't understand the point of that. Put together the guys you think are going to stay here and let them figure it out. Uh, obviously when uh, Caulfield is back, that means you stick him with somebody who can make some plays for him and that he can skate with and not bounce him around on the fourth line. Or you send him down to the American hockey league and let him enjoy playing hockey for a little bit. <laughs> I don't think he's had an enjoyable year in Montreal and at this point, I know that uh, his agent probably won't be happy if he gets sent down, and he probably won't be happy because he loses a lot of money on that entry-level deal. But at the same time, it must be a little bit easier to breathe in Laval than it is in Montreal right now because... Well, also, like this, this, is, this is an old thing that a lot of analytics people have identified for a long time, but playing, um, you know, playing a, um, a score... Uh, like a perennial, like career scorer, you know, just slick mitts uh, on the fourth line to like help him learn the game. You're playing a different game on the fourth line than you are yep. on the first line. So while your minutes are sheltered uh, and hopefully you're getting like, okay, matchups, um, the quality of teammate matters a lot more than the quality of competition for a scorer. So you're on your fourth line, you're surrounded by guys who aren't going to set you up the same way at all. The game moves differently when you're on the fourth line, right? Your opportunities are different. You're not going to get back out to the next shift. The flow is different. You get into the game differently. Also, when you are expected to sometimes in the fourth line, you get you get overmatched, right? Like they end up getting their first line out. And then you're a tiny man who's expected to like, you know, shut down. It's a, it's absurd, right? Um, uh, it, it, it's not helping. It's not helping anyone. It's neither helping the team nor him personally. So uh, I'm, I'm with you. Um, move him up, put him with someone or, um, or put him back in the, in the A where he can, you know, do, where he can dominate on a, on a top line. Yeah. And speaking of uh, not dominating, um, I don't want to like rag on him too much. And I was told by uh, Julian McKenzie, cause I was kind of chatting with him during the game that he was part of the first uh, Evans goal. He like kind of moved the puck up the ice that created the play. But until the broadcast mentioned him late in the third period, I don't think I realized that Josh Anderson was playing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> he he kind of does this thing where like he'll be in games where he is the most noticeable guy on the ice and he's just like physically dominant rushing the puck over and over again and kind of like keying the emotions of the team but in a game where the canadians were playing against a team that's not amazing at even strength on the second half of a back-to-back -back, and they played a pretty strong game overall and like showed some fight 
I didn't notice much fight out of Josh Anderson. I noticed him for the first time. I think it was in the third. And there was a, there was a rush. And I saw him. I was like, okay, okay. that's." And it didn't end up being, I think it ended up being a pretty good shot on goal. And then he disappeared again. And I don't know. I feel like a player who is a, who is a power forward, right? Who wants that title, right? Who skates as upright as a, as a power forward does, like he does, right? He's just uh, a player like that needs to be noticeable, right? He has to be, he, he, he has to be not just from the fans, but I mean, the other team has to notice him. They have to be aware. They should have to be aware of when he's on the ice because he's going to roll over someone, right? He's going to bust the puck in and do something like um, direct and impressive. Um, but not, not obviously not tonight. Yeah. And I think this is like where the disconnect is on where the Canadians valued Josh Anderson versus what he is as a player where they saw his best version of himself and gave him that contract. <laughs> and unfortunately he's only that like one out of every three games. And yeah, there's a lot of big contracts on the Montreal Canadians that uh, need to be moved out or figured out. I don't know if Anderson can be moved with that contract. Uh, there was somebody who had a question earlier in the stream saying like, if it's the same contract, same term, you want Lekkonen or Byron? Well, Byron is older. Yeah. And I don't think like Byron is a great penalty killer. Don't get me wrong. But at even strength, I don't think he has anywhere close to the play driving or defensive ability of Arturi Lekin. And I, I really like Byron for his unique quality of him being able to score goals that there's only like 10 guys in the entire league that can score. So like the goals that he get, gets aren't necessarily goals where like you put somebody else in that spot and they score the same 15 goals he scores goals that just disappear if you take him out of the lineup so he has value there but i think lekkanen is just a way better overall player so it would be lekkanen for me same um i love whenever byron scores on a shorthanded breakaway i i think back to the um video montage I, he came from calgary right yes um a video montage of him missing breakaway after breakaway after breakaway he has such impressive, and back then even better, escape velocity, right? It was just a matter of time before he started doing that. And he did in Montreal, and he's been that kind of a player, right? He's, he uh, kills penalties, gets those unexpected goals, makes the other team uh, have to, you know, respect that speed, sit back on their heels a bit. But the first thing to go as you age is your speed, right? Players talk about this all the time. You're, you're smarter than ever. You know more about the game. You're more comfortable, but your, your feet go first. And so to bank on him in the future, sort of outlasting or maintaining that unique skill, uh, you know, well into his thirties is you're, you're expecting an awful lot more than history has told us. Right. Whereas Lekkonen's solid positional game doesn't rely on fleet feet, even though he's a, he's a fine skater. Um, he's, he's only going to basically, he's going to, he's going to be a long plateau kind of guy, right? Because his skill set is just, uh, it's, you know, I, I think age of anything will, will help him, right? The more experience he has, the the more sort of little tiny elements he he adds or, or you know, um, learns uh, and, and, and includes in his game, he, he's just going to get a little bit stronger. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, like, uh, Byron's coming back supposedly next game off of hip surgery that's caused him to miss over half of a season now. So we don't actually know what Byron is going to look like. I hope he looks exactly like what we remember him as, because I really like on a personal level. I really like Paul Byron. 
I think he's a good leader. I think he's a good uh, role model for people in that room. He's really embraced the community here. But we don't know, right? There's a lot of question marks surrounding Paul Byron. Uh, we had a couple other questions here uh, from the Discord. Uh, basically, a game of keep trade or buy out uh, between... I guess we can just do the same question for all three. He's got three different uh, questions here. I'm guessing it's not necessarily what would you do so much as what do you think is going to happen? The The details are not there. It's just keep trade buyout of... So we'll start with Jeff Petrie. When is this contract up? I mean, he just signed an extension, so it's a while. <laughs> he just signed you, an extension gonna... until 2024, 2025, so three more years. Okay, so um, you're not going to trade him. You were, not, and you're not going to buy him. You're going to keep. You got to keep Petrie. Yeah. I mean, this season has been an aberration, and I, I think we can. I think we can put to bed the idea that Petrie is who, you know, he has been through much of the, you know, the, he's not a tank commander, right? That's just not who he has been. There's no reason his game has to have that decline. Uh, I think he's going to prove to be a lot more valuable than any, than the money you're going to get back from a buyout or the value you're going to get in a trade for him right now. So unless some team blow, knocks your socks off, uh, the, the, no, I'm keeping him. Yeah, I think at 34 years old with three years remaining, it, it's even, I think the 6.25 outside of this season is very reasonable for Jeff Petrie. Like you could maybe move that if he was 31 instead of 34, but right. it becomes a, a perilous contract to take on for most teams. I think that uh, he's a guy that unless he expressly asks to be traded is probably going to stay here at least until 2023. Uh, yeah, it's, that's not one that you're going to move. And I think Petrie also, it, it probably depends on what happens with Carey Price. Like I have a tiny bit of inside information on like when Petrie was traded to Montreal, why he decided to stay in Montreal when he was going to be an unrestricted free agent was essentially that he became very good friends with uh, Carey Price and liked to play on the same team as PK Subban. Now, shortly after Subban was traded, but obviously, I mean, Petrie loved Shea Weber. I don't think there's anybody that I've heard of that didn't love Shea Weber, the person, and also the player on that team. So easily replaced, but now Weber's gone. And now Carey Price's future is in flux. Yeah. So if Petrie doesn't want to be here, say Carey Price has moved at some point, then it becomes a complicated question, right? But... Yep. Just based on the facts, it seems unlikely that Jeff Petrie would be moving on. Uh, Christian Dvorak. I think for this one, it's eventually trade, but it's not right now. Did, did he seem like a, a stopgap to you when they signed him yes. at the start of the season? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I get that feeling. And they were basically trying to plug a hole. The problem is the <laughs> they, they plugged the hole. Then... The, the cannon fire went right through the hull 10 times, right? And, and so the ship is sinking, and, but they plugged that hole. Uh, he, the expectations on him when he came in, I'm sure the expectations that he had uh, are, are totally misaligned at this point. Um, the, the Canadians thought they were getting someone who was going to serve a valuable role as they tried to, you know, return to the, the playoffs at least. And he thought, yeah, you know, they're, they're a Stanley Cup finalist. I'm going to, you know, really, um, maybe not a contender, but we're going to, you know, we're going to see what we can do. Um, no one's happy. Right. Neither side is happy with how this has turned out. And even though 
he hasn't been a, a, an outrageous disappointment or anything like that. I can't imagine, I can't imagine either side wanting to, you know, wanting to keep him around or stay around. Yeah. I, I think Dvorak this year is such an outlier defensively from what he's had the rest of his career. It's like, he's not a good defensive player, but this year he is like quite literally a bottom five player in the entire league in terms of defensive wow. impact at even strength. That said, he still has excellent impacts defensively shorthanded, which is like, I know it's a different game, but to be that wildly off is pretty crazy. But I, I think he's a guy that like next year probably has a huge recovery in his underlying numbers as the team is not like crushing itself under the weight of what this season has become. And then maybe you can look at, you know, his contract is so reasonable for a guy who is probably like a second, third line center on a, a decent team. Like one of those tweener guys, right? I, I think they could move him relatively easily once he rebounds a little bit. It's just that teams will want to see that. But yeah, I don't think he's a long-term Montreal Canadian, unfortunately. I think that was just Mark Bergevin. Not necessarily panicking per se, but mm -hmm. reacting to the fact that he was going to lose Deneau and Pokaniemi in one summer and had no plan to actually weather that loss and he thought that they were still a playoff team which was clearly very untrue all right and the last one is yoel armia i think everyone who has watched this team this year is probably going to lean towards buyout the contract is completely insane and it was insane the day that they signed it it was one of those like you're still off of like high off of the pheromones of the playoffs. You know, it's like when the Canadians won that game on Jean Baptiste day, which by the way, was Lekkonen who scored the winner. Right. Uh, it was like it on that day, Mark Bergman was like, we're signing Armia for four years. And it was a terrible decision. I don't know if they're going to end up buying him out because I feel like Armia is another guy who is having an outlier season. Yeah. I I'm just not convinced that at his contract anybody values him enough to take that on. So it, to me, that looks like either it is going to end up in a buyout or maybe a trade where they retain half of his salary. Or I mean, this is the least definitive answer you could possibly ask for. <laughs> uh, or they just keep him and he stays around during the rebuild. But I think the issue with that is that his effort level this year. And I know part of it is the way he plays looks effortless. Right. And that has not, a lot not of people, in a good way though. Yes. Not in a good way Yeah, not because like, he's uh, not no. scoring. Like exactly, when he is exactly. scoring looks great, but when he's not, and he's more often not than is a terrible sentence, <laughs> <laughs> it just looks bad and it gets people on him. And I just, I don't know if that's good for a rebuilding team. Here's a question that people fail to ask a lot. Are you the kind of play? Is this the kind of player who can play on a terrible team? Is this the kind of player? So, you know, we, we have a lot of relative stats, right? But I bet you, if you look through, um, you know, you go league wide, look through relative stats, some players on awful teams, um, you know, do like do okay, right? They, they may outperform the, the terrible team baseline. Other players on, uh, would go on a good team and play to that level. 
they'd go in a bad team and they'd play to that level or below. They just get worse as the team gets worse. And so they're, they're not helping you, right? They're, they're literally being dragged down by you. Um, uh, actually, Petrie in Edmonton. Now, um, they, they misvalued him completely, but he was a far less inspiring player in Edmonton, right? When they, when they would do nothing but lose. This year in Montreal, they're doing nothing but lose. He's, in, he's uninspiring again. I don't know, right? But I, I think that's a, an important psychological factor that you can't ignore. And it's obscured by the situation with COVID and lack of fans and, uh, you know, the weird injuries and not having anyone to line up. There, there's so many complicating factors. But I think that's a question that you have to ask about every player that you want to keep around. Are they the type that's going to be dragged down? Or are they the type that are going to kind of like cling on with, with you know, white knuckles and try to lift this team up uh, from the from the depths that, it, that it's been in? Yeah, I think that's like the one of the biggest questions. It's like a combination of that and who are the guys that want to wear that jersey, you know, yeah. and, and play f- for that jersey and play it with pride. And that's probably outside of building his management team. The biggest question that Kent Hughes is going to have to face as he, you know, looks at the rest of this season, because there's going to be a lot of guys who aren't traded at the trade deadline. There's just not enough salary to go around in the NHL and too many guys with term. I think the main guy that's going to be moved out is Ben Sherratt because Mm -hmm. it's very obvious they're going to get good return for him. And other than that, I think a lot of the damage that they're going to have to do to like break down the team is going to happen in the summer. And it may not even be all this summer. It might be next summer. You know, there's a long time that this is going to have to happen over. I mean, do you want a rebuild? Do you want a a Reno, right? Mm -hmm. And if you, if you want an actual rebuild, it's going to take, it's, you know, you were talking about this summer, next summer, the summer after to to some extent, um, uh, your, your comment about Sherrod, do you think he's still going to get the value that people predicted he would get in a trade uh, come the deadline? I mean, people were talking about a first um, um, and coming off the playoffs last year, it was easy to, it was easy to say, Oh yeah, you know, if we need to get rid of him, we can do it for that. Uh, Are we still there? Do you think? See to me? No. But from what I hear from people who know a lot more about NHL front offices, uh, they think, yes, Uh, I think there's a lot of people around the NHL who think that once the flip or the switch is flipped and playoff officiating arrives, Ben Sherratt becomes much more valuable and they're willing to pay a lot for his nastiness, essentially. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that he has one of the worst goal differentials in the league over the last three years, including playoffs does not deter teams for whatever reason. Uh, Over the last three years of defensemen who've played over a thousand minutes, he is 14th worst in the league in terms of goal differential. And David Savard is fourth worst by the way. So uh, this team has a lot of guys that are not helping. That's but, a, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I like those numbers are are, are wow. Yeah, like I Don't personally thought because people will hear and they won't they won't offer anything. The the, 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 the trade offers will all start drying up. Like oh, we heard the pod, we heard the pod, and we, we watched it. It was just there's no way we can do this now. If it was that easy to deter NHL GMs, I think there'd be a lot fewer bad decisions that go around. <laughs> but uh, like I thought that Sherrod actually had a really strong season to this or start to the season. You know the offensive. Uh, play yeah. was great and then the fact that he was with Jeff Petrie kind of boosted his underlying numbers even though Petrie himself is having a poor season 
ever since Petrie, uh, I believe, went down first with an injury and then had COVID, Sherratt's numbers just like really tanked. And I think that the longer this goes on, where they can see Sherratt away from Weber, away from Petrie, then becomes the risk of like, oh, what are we paying for here? Which is why I'm like, if the Canadians want to trade this guy, they should do it now. Also, there's the idea that he could get injured and then not be able to be traded at the deadline. So if I was Ken Hughes, I'd be doing this like now. Well, uh, I mean, really, like when you saw the season starting to slip away, you know, I mean, he wasn't there, obviously, but, um, you know, pick up that phone, right? Like, um, you know, the, the really, if you wait any longer, is there any possibility he's going to look better? Uh, I mean, teams might start bidding or something, or you might closer to the deadline, people are more, more motivated. So maybe that makes some sense. But I don't know, putting out a feeler and seeing if someone wants to sort of jump the gun before this really valuable asset um, becomes a less valuable asset. Uh, I mean, that, uh, and, and you're right, when he's separated from, uh, you know, the, the people who sort of, um, you know, help, he wasn't chopping lumber by himself in front of the net last year in the playoffs, you know, yeah. and can, can he fulfill that function? A lot of these contending teams don't have a guy who is going to do that brutally hard-nosed stuff in front of the net. Last year, Montreal had two or three D who would do that, and that's kind of why it worked, right? If you just have one guy who does that, but he's a detriment in other areas, does that really help that much, right? No. Does, is that enough to... to Montreal can play, play just, just played containment, right? Um, they basically said... We need a we need a strong defensive game. We need to knock people over, right? We need to close we need to close down the front of the net, and we're, we have the bodies to do it. And they did. A lot of contending teams don't don't have that, right? And they don't want to play that way. So is he even going to be a match? Even though a lot of teams believe you need that kind of guy, is he going to fit in, into a, a more um, sort of high powered offensive team with better puck moving? I don't know. If you're not going to shell up sometimes, uh, I don't know if his value is that high. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how he fits on on a lot of teams, honestly. I'm, I know that uh, Florida's after him. That's intriguing to me because they've kind of had a few guys go into Florida who haven't had the <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, haven't had the best career, let's say, and then really turned it around there. So that's a team that maybe you can slot Ben Schrod into, and there's enough insulation where he can do what he likes to do and doesn't really hurt you. And they're so good offensively that his, you know, really strong skating, for example, at, I mean, it's not agility-wise strong skating, like he's not a great at lateral movement, but Once in a straight line, out. yeah, it's kind of like a lesser version of Dustin Bufflin, right? Where once he got going, he had decent <laughs> speed. He just needed the whole racetrack to get there. And when you try to stop him, you die. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> not quite at that level, but, you know, he can contribute a little bit offensively just because he's got a decent shot and isn't afraid to pinch. So mm-hmm. that could be a fit. A lot of the other teams like Edmonton that was rumored to be in on him at one point. I don't see the fit there. I think that's a, a move that helps you sink, <laughs> you know, well, well, but mm. I, and I mean, you know, um, Edmonton, basically I think teams, especially with the, you know, with the, the revenue problems, a lot of teams are facing. I think the teams have to believe they have a legitimate contending shot. You're not going to see this year like you have in previous years, I think, as much. Well, if you get in the playoffs, you have a chance. So let's try to do that. I think the general manager is going to be way more reluctant to do that. And I think they're going to be way more reluctant to move people in at the deadline unless they have a you know a legitimate shot. And people, I mean, managers, teams delude themselves into thinking they have a legitimate shot or they're a contender. But uh, is a team like Edmonton at this point going to say, 
yeah, this is our year. I mean, you got to try, right? Uh, you, you can't let these guys, um, you know, your two all-stars uh, wither on the vine. But at the same time, can you justify trading something important for the future for Ben Sherratt? And if you make the playoffs, I, I don't know. Um, I, I can't see his value being that high, you know, going to a team like that where, where there's, um, there's going to be less, less competition for services, I guess, is, is what I'm saying because of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny situation for this year. And, you know, I mean, Edmonton didn't even go in all, all in last year when McDavid and Dreisaitl were putting up, like, the best offensive numbers, like, since Mario Lemieux. Yeah. And, you know, they started this season the same way, and it's kind of fizzled out a little bit. But it's uh, a strange situation in Edmonton. But we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thanks for joining me, Paul, and thanks, everybody, for watching. As I say every show now, if you're still watching this show... <laughs> In this season, this I love you very much, and really thank you for the support because it means a lot. This is not how we wanted to start this show, <laughs> this season, but we're getting through it, and I feel like we're offering something fun for people who are not enjoying these games but watching anyway. So there's that. Um, before we go, uh, Paul, tell everyone where they can find your stuff. Sure. Um, it's at Ingle Magazine primarily, so go there and, and look around. Um, and uh, if, uh, on social media, I'm primarily on Twitter when I'm around. And uh, the um, my ad is at Way to Go Paul. Um, All timer. I know tagline. I considered changing to something like that's my name or, or you know you're really professional, but uh, no way. Uh, I mean it's, it's just it's just too prime. I, I'm not I'm not giving that up. Absolutely. And if anybody hasn't seen that uh, short clip, just search way to go, Paul. It is phenomenal. It's very junior hockey or not, not even junior hockey. It's very minor, minor hockey. hockey. Yeah. If anybody's had uh, kids or family members in minor hockey and met <laughs> a far too intense hockey parent. But yeah. All right. So thank you everybody for tuning in. Thanks, Paul, especially for joining me here tonight. Had great fun chatting with you all and uh, we'll see you on Saturday against the Oilers, who we just talked shit about. So <laughs> I'm sure they'll pump nine past the Canadians. 10-1. Can't wait. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>